You ready for Basecamp Fitness's best deal yet? Seven days for $7. That's right, seven days for $7. It's time to double down on your fitness goals and snag this offer before it's gone. Call or text Basecamp Fitness at 913-232-9770 or go to BasecampFitness.com to learn more. Hour number two of the program begins right now. We're live in Surprise, Arizona. Our spring training coverage continues right here in the uh, Surprise Complex. Uh, fortunate to be joined by the uh, Royals minor league pitching coordinator, Paul Gibson, is with us. Paul, how are you, sir? Doing great. Yourself? Uh, doing good. You know, beautiful weather. Uh, it's a lot nicer here than it was in Vegas a week ago for the Super Bowl. I can tell you that. No, no question. Yeah, it's, uh, it is it is very nice here. And um, listen, uh, a, a different vibe. Like, I know you're, you're uh, coordinating everything down to the minor leagues, but when you see the kind of additions that the club made, and then you see uh, the commitment to Bobby Wood Jr., I would think that that permeates throughout the the whole organization. That uh, you know, uh, this thing's going in the right direction, and ownership is. Plus, you got a, a ballpark we're talking about building. A, it's kind of an exciting time for the organization as a whole. Does that permeate down into the minors? Absolutely. You know, I'm I'm lucky enough to be around both sides of it, and uh, one big thing that I talked to Q about this morning that we were just having a general conversation is how more comfortable uh, the staff is this year after they've gotten to know him and the people that he brought in and then when you tie that together with the stadium and you tie that together with uh, the Wakas and the Lugos and people like that uh, it gives everybody a sense of togetherness and this organization's always been about that Uh, but for the last few years obviously it's been rough um, and now, this feels like a real shot at it, you know, and we're moving in the right direction in a lot of places, and we're all very excited about it. I remember a long time ago being told by uh, folks in the organization, listen, winning is a part of the development process. And I can remember, like, when Angel Barroa came up and was a young player, and and he was kind of kicking the ball all over the place, and he got booed by the fans. It was the 2003 season where the team won 83 games, and Got off to a nine and zero start, like fifteen and three, and he was kind of struggling. And I remember him being frustrated, but I also remember him then turning it around and having four and a half great months and winning rookie of the year. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it was like, hey, this matters, right? How much of that is true? That that you know, the development that you do when you hand them off to the big leagues is one part of it. But how much of it is also what goes on at the big league level and having a competitive environment? How much does that help finish off the growth of a young player? Yeah, it's a great question. The development process. There's two pieces to it: getting them close enough to the major leagues where they've done the work, they've uh, brought their pitches to their uh, pitch repertoire around but then the second piece of it is what's going to happen when they get there and how will they adapt to the environment and the 30,000 people instead of 5,000 people and just the little things and sometimes that doesn't happen overnight sometimes a guy goes back and then comes back up and sometimes they just weather the storm Um, and when you're in a a competitive environment like that it's tough on a young player so if you have too many of them going through the same trials and tribulations at the same time it sort of puts you in a development mode instead of a winning mode Uh, but when you have now a good balance between veteran and young players everybody wins because the veterans uh, give the young guys a lot of little pieces of information that help them become long-term big leaders hopefully uh, we're talking to Paul Gibson here in the uh, program. Let, let's talk about some of the guys. Um, let, let's talk about Issa Lisi first. I know that's sure. a guy that I get a lot of name. High pick, 
and just hasn't been able to get on a mound. Uh, last year, you know, when we chatted, you were, you were optimistic. The back became a problem. Where, where does he sit right now? Do you, do you, do you still have aspirations for him? Is, is he going to be pitching anytime soon? So it's a very fair question. Ace is, uh, always a hot topic because of his ability. If he didn't have the ability, uh, probably not many people would ask about him. Last year, I sat right here. We had this conversation about how strongly I felt he was in a good place, and he was. Uh, his back uh, gave him some issues. Um, we tried short-term solutions that didn't really help him, and he wasn't confident in those. So we pulled it back. Uh, pitched an instructional league and looked really good a couple sides and then in the game uh, shut it down for the winter and we followed through with more of a long-term prehabilitative type program that involves yoga and involves uh, some things with uh, stretching and uh, PT work and all that. All the video that I've seen, all the conversations I've had with him have been on the positive side. Um, he's still a young player. Uh, everybody wants to see him pitch. He wants to pitch. And so hopefully we'll keep that, uh, like I said, it, the ability that he has, we all want to see him pitch, and so does he. So let's let's remain hopeful. Um, you know, listen, time will tell, and, and the player will dictate it, but do you still see starter uh, in him, or does the, the injuries – take him down a path where it's it's a better idea to just send him down the, the reliever road to, to limit how much he's actually got to throw? Or is that the worst thing? Because you start to become a max effort guy and you're putting even more stress on it. Right. So we've talked about both, and we've talked to Asa about both. He's open to whatever way we decide to go with it. Right now, I'd like him to be on a program that he can uh, – adhere to and schedule for so that might mean a relief role early with two scheduled outings a week that will allow him to uh, to build up with his off off the field activities um but i'm not closing the door and starting it's too much of an animal is it is it changing how you approach things i mean like you know when I got in, this guys were throwing 225, 230 innings. Now 175 innings, you're a workhorse, right? Like guys go shorter stints. There's more of a need for a middle guy, a three-inning guy, a, a nine-batter guy. Has that changed how you have to go about uh, trying to lay out the plan and, and prepare these kids for coming up? Do you do you have an eye towards – I mean, I know nobody's asking everybody to go nine innings all the time, right? Even, even in the development process of the guys who did end up going nine innings, they weren't going nine innings every time down in the minor leagues. But has it fundamentally changed how you prepare these guys? The challenges of it have changed for sure because the expectations are not as high as they were for a number one or two or three starter to go out there and pitch two innings. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that my belief was that when you looked at all the championship clubs over the years, they had three or four guys that went 200 innings. But as the game evolved and specialty roles and the analytics piece of it came in, third time through the order philosophy, when that all started to come about, it became okay to be a five, five-plus, six-inning pitcher uh, for those reasons alone. Now, there are still a handful of guys out there that will fight you for the ball, um, and we're still in search of guys like that. They're the outliers now, right? The right. guy that, the guy that everybody wants to call the old school guy that can go 220 innings. That's still valuable in my mind. Um, 
but make no mistake about it, we uh, we do a lot of things in the minor leagues that protect them over the long term. Uh, in and we've backed off the pitch count thing. It's more on a uh, individual basis as to how far we let guys go, or how far we build them up to be with their future in mind. We know that when you send a guy from the rotation back to the bullpen, his stuff will tick up a little bit. Velasquez, someone comes more of a max effort guy, he can go all out as opposed to pacing himself. But has the starting pitching world become more max effort? Is that part of the reason why they're shrinking is that the hitters have gotten so good? I remember asking Greg Holland, you know, at, at the peak of his powers, right? Like, hey, Greg, do you, you know, Mariano Rivera, they say, went to the cutter because he wanted to, you know, elongate his career. He's like, I can't blow guys away all the time, so I need this pitch that I can that I can have. I said, you ever think about that? I said, because, you know, he was a max effort guy, obviously. And he's like, listen. I need every weapon I can take to the mound. It takes everything I've got. That's the mindset of a reliever who goes 72 innings in a year. It feels like more and more starters are going to the mound with that, that they are max effort guys and not running the, the long race anymore. Is that part of what's happening to get guys out? Every weapon's got to come to the mound, max effort now? Well, yes and no. I mean, that's the way they're being raised uh, in the academies and all the specialty uh, uh, contributors to their career uh, with giving them uh, lessons and giving them opportunities in the gym to get stronger and bigger and faster and quicker. So what you're seeing now is a product of that, right? So a guy can throw 97, 98, he's going to get paid in the draft. And so they see that payday, first of all, and they take advantage of that. Um, It's our job as scouts um, to recognize if there's projection or it's going to come back. Uh, Often now you'll see guys, they're 97, 98 in the draft, and then they're 94, 95, because you've seen them on their best days with rest and so on and so forth. And this schedule is so much different than a high school or or a college schedule. So, uh, yes, you see that. Uh, we look at starters in college, and we project them as relievers. We draft them, and we'll project them as relievers. Um, but there is still the something about that good delivery, that good arm action, that temperament. Um, and we have a few of those guys in the lower minors right now that, that um, fit that kind of bill. How is data, you know, film uh, or tape or video, I guess it is, I should say, get to the modern age, uh, how has all that changed? How, how much of that has now, you know, uh, overtaken your job? And how much is is that a part of your, you know, day-to-day operation with, with the development side of things? It's a big part of my day. Um, two reasons. One, any kind of information that you can gather is going to help you communicate to the player better. And any information or language that the player is speaking that I can learn and understand the language is important for me to be able to communicate to the player and make no mistake about it. These guys are much smarter about their stuff because that's the way they're being raised in those places that we spoke about. But also uh, they're very inquisitive about it and what it means. So what I might describe a curveball 10 years ago, they describe in vertical and horizontal break. It's fine with me. (laughs) Um, I'm in search of information that's going to help the player. Uh, I've been able to uh, add people to the staff that are 
really good at explaining that stuff and teaching our coaches. So I feel like we're in a really good spot as it relates to that. Are there guys, I remember Brian Bannister, people used to say, he was very much one of the first guys I remember being into the numbers and people saying, well, you know, he's he's losing himself in the numbers. He's all he's got a cluttered mind. Was that just him being ahead of the curve? I know he's in the industry now, obviously, and yeah. in, in in that side of the thing. Was that just him being ahead of the curve and people not recognizing where things are going, or is there really still a you know paralysis by analysis? Like you can you can overload a guy too much. We we take the following approach with our players. We we do a lot of uh, of inf- information finding with them. And we're able to decide who's ready for what and when. So what we do with uh, a young high school player is very different than what we'll do with a guy out of Vanderbilt. That And we took both last year, for example. Uh, the guy at Vandy, three years with, with uh, the pitching department at Vandy, which is very good has been very well schooled. He'll let us know what he understands and what he wants. And then we took a couple of high school guys last year, Blake Walters in the second round being one, who we feel like, okay, let's give him this much now. Midseason we'll give him a little more and so on and so forth. Hunter Owens, the guy from Vanderbilt. Correct. Excited about, you talk about last year's draft, uh, excited about where he's at right now? Very, very. He's uh, He's built sturdy. He's cerebral. He's got three-plus pitches. Um, we haven't gotten to see him compete in games yet because uh, he got going late last season. Uh, so we shut him down going into this year. But uh, I think he'll be uh, a middle-of-the-rotation type guy. Uh, from there, we'll see how he develops. But uh, there's a lot to like. Uh, Blake, uh, Blake Walters, uh, big signing bonus. Um you know, we were kind of chatting. You're pretty excited about this young man. Yeah, uh, he's a d- determined kid. Uh, he was scheduled to go to Arizona State, and um, watching him throw, it comes out of the hand so easy, 96, 97, breaking ball. He's working on his changeup. Uh, very determined nature, very, uh, very adept at uh, a good baseball conversation. Um, he makes us all smile. Okay. Okay. There's excitement there. Let's, let's talk about some of the, the past picks. Frank Mazzucato. Uh, strikeouts were, were really rolling. Um, he was really rolling and then had a collision with a teammate. You know, and it, the wheels kind of seemed to come off. He still promoted him, which I'm curious, you know, because he was struggling when he first came back. Let's let's start there. Uh, why the decision to promote him when he was struggling when he came back from the collision? So with him and Ben uh, Kuderna and Panzini as well, Shane Panzini, we had scheduled them to be promoted on X date. Um, and uh, we just just the way things were laid out, we were pretty determined to do it that way. Um, and then that accident that Frank had, I don't know if coincidentally, uh, but he was not himself after that. Um, and we thought, well, let's let's promote him. The the difference between low A and high A is that going to be enough for us not to do this and see how it goes? Obviously, he struggled uh, quite a bit there, but. The stuff is the stuff. The curveball is real. Uh, he, I just saw him. He just uh, reported today. He's about eight to ten pounds uh, stronger in muscle mass. 
Um, we're really hopeful this is the year that this all pops for him. He's still a baby, still has a lot to learn, but uh, we're really excited about Frank. Is when you what all goes into the decision to promote a guy? Like, is the, the you know the the numbers? Sometimes you guys promote guys. And the numbers are like, uh, what are you doing? Kind of like Maz kind of had very good numbers, by the way, before that. But but then there's other times where a, a guy's got great numbers, and you're like, well, why aren't they moving this guy up? So, like, what are the things? What What's the reasoning? Everybody's just a name and a, and a line of numbers on a on a sheet to me. You see these guys and, and deal with the human beings and everything that's going in it. And the organization works through all that as well. What, what 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 am I missing when I see like look at this this guy looks like he's lights out why isn't he going up yeah so uh, from the outside looking in this is always a tough one um, with the with the younger players at the on the lower end of the development process from rookie to A and A to high A we sort of uh, try to project out what what it's going to look like we did that with them. Uh, after they signed, they stayed and extended, then went to Columbia. Then they started Columbia and went. So we looked at the season in halves going back to their first year. Um, and quite frankly, when with your higher picks, you want to keep that moving to the level of what you should expect them to be. So that's a prospect-driven type conversation that we have well prior to the, the actual promotion itself. X amount of innings, and then we have performance indicators that we use for advancement. Uh, it's basically criteria for advancement. And actually, a piece of the criteria is how they deal with adversity. There might be an outing or two in in this six-week window that we've outlined that we actually want to see them struggle to see how they're going to bounce back from it. So that, again, is a, another part of it that outside looking in you wouldn't understand or know about um and then we have the bullpen guys the late round draft picks that are their decisions are based on different criteria maybe more on need somebody got hurt college reliever got hurt and at high a we move another college reliever to fill them then when they get to double a that's when the rubber meets the road where they've got to be able to hold runners and have a good game plan and those kind of things. So all of it sets itself up on the lower end. Sometimes it's scripted. Sometimes it's more out of need. Then when they get to double A, then triple A, and then the major leagues, it's more about these performance indicators. How much is how much is your hand forced by the fact that you now have less teams? Right, I know this was a, a big frustration for Dayton when they, you know, eliminated a lot of the minor league teams. Now you've only got so many spots. And when you have another draft class come in, they got to have somewhere to go, right? And I know there's still the rookie ball and and that kind of thing. But like, how much of it? How much of the of the job of when to promote a guy has gotten harder because you have less spots to put people? Yeah, it. The first year was really hard uh, because you're so. St- used to a systematic way of developing players and then you just gut it and say okay we're going to skip all of these steps where it's affected us the most number one is with the dominican international player they uh they would traditionally do two years in a dr and then up to two years here that takes them to 20 years old and four drafts get piled on top of them and most most drafts are college now, 
So they go, they're ahead of them before they even get out of here, right? And it's hard. So you got to be um, diligent in both your international scouting, your amateur scouting, and then your acquisition piece uh, on where they're going to fit so you don't clog up the system. If you, if you have too many... Um, young 19, 18, 19-year-old 19 international players and you keep pouring college players over the top of them, putting them in Columbia, um, and then the next draft comes and they're in Columbia. These guys never get out of here. So we got to be really good at what we do in, in terms of uh, selection and acquisition. So is pitching better today because of the new rules, or is it – I mean, I think it, I think it's always progressing, right? I think that's the one thing. The modern athlete is always better, generally speaking, than previous editions. They're taking what all the work that's been done before. Now they get to start with all the things that everybody else has figured out. But did, did they stunt the growth of pitching with the changes, or has it adapted and overcome or thrived from the changes they made with the minor league systems? Interesting question. I'm not sure I... I could really pinpoint an answer for you. I think uh, the rules, the rules, and you got to deal with them no matter what. Yeah, and I think some players, uh, some players that you acquire uh, through through the draft, uh, they recognize I've got only a short window to prove myself, so they get after it pretty good. Yeah, you know, um, and you look back and you, you you see the different types of players that advance and different types of players that struggle uh, with development. Uh, the game is in a really great place. There's a lot of people out there teaching the game uh, to pitchers. Do I necessarily agree with everything that they're teaching them? No, but at least they're learning something, right? Right. And most of these people have a lot of passion for what they do. And so um, I think that's a plus. And I think the player that comes in and they're open with us and we're able to involve these people in our in our development process, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, we're talking right now with Paul Gibson. Let's get to our uh, final four. It's brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. Did you know you can be seen by the same experts that care for the Kansas City Royals, the official health care provider of your Kansas City Royals. Get care from the experts the Royals trust to make the right call. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash royals. Uh, I will start you with this. Who has the best fastball? In yeah, our, in our, outside the bigs, uh, down in the minors, who, who's got the best fastball? Blake Walters. Oh wow! Okay, uh, that's 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 encouraging to hear. Um, which would you rather have a uh, a pitcher start with uh, more? Uh, be, have really mastered stuff or control? Control. Really? So you think you can teach stuff more now? I think we can. Okay. All right. Uh, what's the most important pitch? Change up. The change? Okay. There it is. Keep them off balance. Uh, I, I like that. I, I think that's uh, fantastic. Uh, and who was your biggest baseball influence when you're getting you into baseball and furthering your career? And then There was no question it was my father. Um, the values that he taught me about the game and coached me, and uh, we watched a lot of baseball together. Um, so that was during the Mets 69 that was the beginning of it, right? And uh, 
it was a bug I never lost. Yes, so. yeah. it's, it's still there. It is. Yes. It is. Hey, Paul, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much, and uh, best of luck with the season. Hopefully everyone stays healthy. I know that's the first and foremost yeah, thing. So thank, Thanks so much. We'll get everybody back to KC. Uh, we appreciate the time. Appreciate you. Thanks. Uh, we'll take a break right now. You're in the program. All right, welcome back here in the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHP as we're live in Surprise, Arizona. Seren Petro with you. Curtis Siebel, Adam Trevetta back at the uh, station. Uh, talking Royals baseball, we talked pitching uh, in our last segment with Paul Gibson. Let's talk some hitting. Alex Zumwalt is with us, the uh, Senior Director of Hitting Performance, a.k.a. Hitting Coach, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, remember the old days? You had a hitting coach and you had a pitching coach. Now it's a very fancy title. Well, of course I remember the old days. I said senior in the front of my uh yeah, but, my, <laughs> how, how old are you? 43. 43. So you're nine years younger than me. Okay. So you, you're not you're not old. You yeah. can't be old uh, unless you're older than me. That's the official line. <laughs> right, you know that, right? Right, right. Your age, you're not old. Yeah, Everyone right. older than you, they're the ones that are old. Uh, what do you think? How, how does, uh, how does I don't, today is the first day of full squad, but guys, we were just talking about how guys come out early. You're getting a chance to look at a lot of guys. Uh, how's it look so far? Yeah, I've been here for well over a week, and... Um, you know, really good energy, good vibes going on right now in the cage, uh, out on the field. There's a different feel. There's just a different feel amongst the guys. Um, talking with a couple guys individually and asking those questions. Hey, do you feel that? Do you feel the, what's a little different right now? And, and most of the guys are catching on to it. So um, it's time to go. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's the that's the message, you know. Um, I, I take this very seriously, and, and, you know, Q said it today. You know, this is a privilege that we get to do what we do, and we don't want to take anything for granted for today. So we're just going to compete everything today. So all of our work, we, we want high energy, um, you know, and that's – I feel like that's just – that's kind of standard for what we're trying to do, produce with our hitters. You said it's a different feel. How much of that comes from the organization – putting out the effort, the, the resources, the finances, the money, frankly, yeah. uh, to uh, bring in veteran players to fill in where, you know, there were holes. How much of it's the fact that uh, the guy that's come through the system, Bobby Wood Jr., is going to be a royal uh, for a long time? How, how did that change the atmosphere of the clubhouse? Both, all, all those things. All of the above. You know, yeah. And I think it starts It starts with Mr. Sherman. You know, um, applaud him so much for what he's done this offseason, working with J.J. and putting together this team. Um, then when you get the pieces that we wanted and then getting the situation taken care of with Bobby just sends a message, you know, and amongst these players, it's a, it's a powerful message. And again, uh, I think that's a big part of what we're feeling right now. Give, you know, Bobby's obviously, um, I mean, he's extremely gifted and great contract. Everybody's happy for him, but at the same time, it's like, all right, we've got something right now. We're gonna, we're playing to win. When you're working with a guy like Bobby Wood Jr., what is it? Is it like sheer joy? Look at all these these skills and talents and tools that he has, or is it like? A little bit of pressure, like, oh, God, I better not screw this guy up. No, if you go about it with a little bit of pressure, you're going to screw him up. You know, I think <laughs> okay. that's the way it goes. And, you know, I've known Bobby since um, he's been drafted and, and been here, been, been blessed to work with him since the very beginning. Um, you know, I think that him and I have a very unique relationship. And, uh, no, if, if in fact, if anything, it's he's, yes, he is so gifted. And, you know, there's things he does mechanically that other guys can't do. And, um you know, you, you, you have to continue, though, to steer and you have to continue to try to teach. You know, I think that's that's a, a big part of this is being relentless as a teacher with him. You know, he's, yeah, he's really, really gifted. But the scary thing is he's, he's still got room to grow. Vinny Pascantino 
is a guy that you know they were kind of a almost Batman and Robin uh, as, as they were coming up, and and Vinny got hurt last year. You know, I think every guy in baseball tries to play through injuries. That's the culture of baseball sometimes. And I talked to him a little bit, and you know, like, hey, he's you know that maybe you know, should you shut it down sooner? And he he said, well, when I couldn't grip a bat, uh, I knew there was a problem. How much you know could you see? I, listen, guys have nagging injuries, and you, you can't just every hangnail sit down, yeah. right? So the, it's a balancing act. But mm-hmm. could you see, and did he try to push it too long last year? I'm not going to say that. He's a competitor, you know, and, and these guys are all playing through stuff. You know, uh, being being close to Salvi these last couple of years, there's nobody who's more prepared every single day to get the, his body ready. Um, and he's got – he's getting banged up every single day. You know, he's taking balls off the mass, taking – you know, blocking balls, all that. You know, and Vinny, it's no different. You know, Vinny works extremely hard. He pushes himself every single day. And, yeah, I mean, looking back, we know that because he had had the issue previously, we knew that he was dealing with it. But, um, you know, every day was just trying to prepare for that day. And, um, you know, I think back to the very first day that he was able to take swings in the cage, and it was just pure joy. You know, it was like the five-year-old Vinny Pasquantino came out. I was like, yes, I get to do this again because it's what he loves, you know. And uh, throughout the winter, uh, hit with him a few times throughout the winter and just keeping in touch, sharing video every single day. I mean, he, he's he's worked his tail off to be where he is right now. And I think the this spring training probably means more to him than he's going to let on. But, you know, he's had what he loves the most taken away from him for the last, you know, nine months. So uh, there's a different there's a different vibe with him as well. He said he, he really wants one of the things. I said, well, what do you what do you want to do here? And he, one of the things he said, well, I want to prove I'm a first baseman. He said, I, I really love playing the game, both offense and defense. Some guys can be just a DH. Is he a guy that needs that part that, you know, we've also seen guys that, like, if I just sit here and stew on hitting the whole time, they kind of become a wreck. What, yeah. what, what's his mindset like? Well, Vinny's always said that. Is that he, you know, I, I think back to his, right after he was drafted, we were back here on the backfield, we were walking out to the white field, and I said, who's your favorite first baseman? He said, oh, I want to be like Eric Cosmer at first base. And I was like, ooh, well, that's a high standard for a first yeah. baseman coming in, but I loved it. And he wasn't kidding. You know, he was dead serious. He, he takes it serious. He wants to be uh, gold glove caliber first baseman. So, and he's worked relentless this offseason as well. About, I mean, it's not just been hitting. You know, that's the thing about Vinny. He's not one dimensional. Um, and if you say you, you can't do this or you're not good at that, he's going to go about whatever he's got to do to prove you wrong. Um, so, yeah, he's been, I mean, he, his body looks in phenomenal shape. He's been working with Aggie since he's been here already. You know, he's, he's, he's on a mission, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's funny because he says he doesn't like DHing. I know his numbers may show that he actually performed better when he was DHing, but um, I, I don't think it's a big enough sample size that we can really dive into that and say, oh, this is something. Because uh, there is there is uh, what I noticed that at Kaufman, especially when we're at home and he's DHing, him and I can go underneath real quick in between innings and get a couple swings before his next at bat. You know, when he's playing first base, you just you don't have that opportunity. You don't have enough time. Uh, how much does Kaufman weigh on someone's mind? The size. It gets talked about all the time. Oh, it's a big park. Oh, that had been a home run and 14, it's 18, 22 of the other parks. Like, how much does that factor in? I, I squash it as much as I can. I know Keone does as well. You know, we th- one of the greatest things J.J. Piccolo has ever done is organize our fall camp in 2020. We were able to do it after the COVID shutdown at Kaufman. 
And it, it basically gave us the opportunity to say, hey, guys, you know, all the time we told you about how big Kaufman is, here it is. And we had players, you know, grunt and fart trying to hit it out of there, and they couldn't, you know. And it's like, okay, so does this now force you to sell out to the right approach? Um, we let the field take care of that for us, right? Um, anytime someone hits one good, and, yeah, we have some running jokes at times of, oh, that's a home run in Houston or right, wherever, right. like, Guys, just hit the ball hard. Let's focus on hitting hard line drives. And you know what? I've seen several guys hit balls into the fountains. So it's not like nothing ever goes out of there. But right. uh, you know, and I think I think it plays to our advantage when we when we uh, you know more than anything just have the confidence that hey, these balls in the gaps for some of you guys, those are easy triples at Kaufman that aren't easy triples in other places. We're talking to Alex Zumwalt here in the uh, program. Uh, talk about hitting the ball hard. Michael Michael Garcia hits the ball hard. Maybe you like to get it in the air a little bit more. How easy a thing is that to do? Uh, I don't. I don't agree. Uh, okay. No, I don't agree. I think that he's got such a great path through the zone. He's so. Uh, I mean, he hits good line drives. You know, coming up through the minor leagues, one of the knocks on him was people were afraid he wasn't going to hit it hard. He wasn't going to hit it hard enough. Right. Um, but truthfully, you know, I look at it. 88 miles an hour off the bat at 15 degrees is a hit. You know, that's a, it's a hit in almost every scenario. So. Anything we get above that, and like Michael last year hit the ball harder than he's ever hit in his career, and um, I mean good, hard, solid contact. That's it's hard to teach that alone, you know. And I think when you start talking about lifting and getting away from what we're really good at, it could it could open up some problems, you know. And I think you know again, Michael, yeah, there's there is some there's a little extra in there at times that you're like, wow, I didn't know he had that. He has it, you know, but. Such a good, simple approach of, of, like I said, I'm a big believer of a long path through the zone. So if we can have a long path through the zone and we match the plane of the pitch, that's going to create a lot of good, hard contact. Uh, When do you go to a guy and say, we need to lift the ball? I mean, there's the famous stories of J.D. Martinez completely remaking his career and and becoming a guy that can lift the ball. You mentioned Eric Hosmer. I was kind of always waiting for that year. I thought when he signed with San Diego and got the payday, it's like, well, you're going to get paid no matter what, but let's go rework the swing and see if we can get some lift. Uh, As the guy who's helping guys go through things is there a time where it's like listen we, we gotta we gotta break this down and kind of start it over i mean obviously i've been i mean since 2019 revamping a lot of the hitting you know what we've learned is you know you make the hardest contact on the ground to the pull side we also know that the highest damage is done you know, slug wise to the pull side in the air um, the problem with a lot of young hitters is when we start talking about that result, we get the other result. And right. so that's obviously not – I don't care if you hit it 110 miles an hour and, and you hit it, you know, negative 5 degrees, it's an out. Yeah. Like the, they're going to catch it. So we, we talk so much about hard through the middle. Um, and, again, just – some of the best hitters that I've ever been around and some of the best hitting people that I've ever been around talk about good hard line drives, the backspin, you know, and, and that's what I watch more than anything else. So I, I've never been one to talk to a hitter and say, hey, I need you to put the ball in the air more. Um, we've talked about different metrics that we use where we can gauge, you know, where their attack angle is necessarily, not not exactly the, the launch angle. Because the launch angle, there's so many factors in that pitch, location, spin, Whatever. I mean, there's just a lot. But if we can get a consistent attack angle to the baseball, that's giving us a lot better chance to hit that, that hard line drive. Well, let's talk about a couple of guys that I think could be really, really important for this team at, at the big league level. I mean, you, you, well, you bring in Hunter Renfro. I think we know what Hunter Renfro is. You look at his back of his baseball card, got a pretty good idea. But there are guys that are still writing the back of their baseball card. MJ Melendez and Nelson Velasquez. Mm-hmm. We saw, let's start with MJ. We saw him have the big year, the home run title down in the minor leagues. Hasn't clicked, although coming down the stretch, numbers started coming back around to where you want. Catcher to outfield, that's not an easy transition. Mm-hmm. 
Where, where do you think he is in, in realizing his full potential, and what is his full potential? I mean, his full potential is, is I, I mean, I'm not afraid to put the number out there, but like 30 home runs in the big leagues, regardless of whether it was a Kaufman or not. Like, right, that's right. That's the type of power potential that he has. I think there's more hit in there. I really do. Uh, I know he's not happy. He was not happy last year with his performance. Um, he went home this offseason. He got after it right away. You know, what he was able to, you know, you look at midway through last season, some of the mechanical changes that took place and him getting consistent with it. Um, and, and people don't realize how hard that is at times to make some some changes during the season you know we spend so much time in the cage working on things and then you know at seven o'clock you got to go perform you got to try to we got to try to win a baseball game um it, it, it takes time it just takes time for those things to come into place but mj's got so much ceiling with the bat i don't in any way shape or form believe that the 41 home runs he hit uh in double a and triple a is a fluke now uh, we all know it's the big leagues it's not the minor leagues anymore but the way he impacts the baseball the way he prepares uh with his approach going up to the plate I mean, it, there there is so much more ceiling there, but he's also been he's he's been exposed on some things that we had to have some difficult conversation on to make adjustments. Help me understand. Early in the year, he had a very low contact rate, but if he did make contact, he was pounding it. Like that doesn't seem to make sense that you can be like either I completely miss it mm-hmm. or I hit it on the button. Yeah. What is that? Just an anomaly, or was there? What were you thinking when you – I know every piece of data is dropped on your right. desk. What What were you – I mean, obviously you want to talk to the player and say, listen, when you hit it, you're crushing it. That's yeah. great. We just got to hit it more. Like, what What? What does that data tell you? Because well, I sure as hell couldn't figure anything out of it. What my eyes were telling me, I had to dig to try to find the data to back it up. And I was able to find some bits and pieces that will keep close to the vest as sure. far as certain matchups, certain pitch types, um, certain movement profiles that – some match his swing plane and some don't. And so we had to be very strategic about how we deliver that information as well because you've got a million things going on in your head. And we right. don't need that. Let, let, let us take care of that. Let us handle that. Um, you know, thankfully, I think we were able to institute, and he was he was trending towards making the mechanical change that he needed to. And, you know, it it's tough when you got a player that's hitting the ball as hard as he was. I think Michael Massey was hitting the ball very hard at times, too, and his BABIP was, was brutal at mm-hmm. times. Um MJ's, I think, was there were similar similar situations as far as like how do we keep them going? Because look, you're hitting the ball hard. I know you're not getting hits, but at the same time, if you're hitting a little chink bleeder and breaking four bats a game, but you're going one for four, are you really going to be happy with that result? You know, hey, I've had guys tell me, yeah, like hey, I need the hits, and the hits pay the bills, right? But um, I just I firmly believe in, in selling out to the process because if you chase. I feel like if you chase results in baseball as a hitter, you're setting yourself up for more failure. So if I'm hitting the ball hard, I'm hitting the ball hard, that's usually an indicator you're swinging at good pitches. So, and I know I, I am not dumb, and I read some of the stuff that people say about, no, well, that, that's not a good philosophy. I, I'll, I will always uh, agree to disagree because I feel like if we're making good swing decisions, we're making hard contact, we're doing everything we can do. It's not a video game. You can't, I can't hit the ball and then steer it and, and make it fall in front of the, the outfielder. So, um, you know, and those are hard conversations at night. Yeah, I was 0 for 4. Yeah, but you smoked, you smoked a couple balls. You right. swung a good pitches. We do everything on our side to try to prevent the, uh, them seeing wrong data. We always want to show them the right data That's because uh, this game beats you up. If you look at just the failure already that, that we, we know we're going to fail over 70% of the time, 
and, and be really, really right. good. Um, we need to find the good pieces of data that we can back up and say, hey, trust your process. Continue to trust your process. This isn't, this is not blackjack. You know, this is, this is a long play. It's a, it's a true marathon, you know, game. So, Every single day, you've got to be relentless in your pursuit of just following your process. That's funny because when I tell my wife that blackjack's a marathon, don't worry about the loss here tonight. <laughs> you know, she doesn't buy it, well, so it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work. A there. lot of our hitters are not good blackjack players <laughs> because they, you know if they go, oh man, I lost this hand, so I got to double down on the next one. Yeah. Well, will you do that? Do you do that? You're going to be broke really quick. Really, so, double up catch up doesn't work. I, I, well, my grandfather's the smartest person I ever met, and he always told me those those casinos in Vegas aren't built because people win. That's right. He's a smart man. <laughs> Uh, Velasquez uh, showed yeah. great power. Yeah. Is it real? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, small sample last year, but what he was able to do and impact the baseball, um, man, whew, that it, and he showed up and he's in good shape. He looks good. Uh, he, you know, he had a successful winter ball. Now it's just we got to get this to play out for the full season. Uh, obviously, you know, teams are going to see how he impacted the baseball last year. So now the cat and mouse starts to come into play. And, you know, that's on us. You know, it's Keone and Joe, myself, to just make sure he's as prepared as possible for what the matchup's going to be. But uh, it was an easy power, you know, seeing him swing the bat. I'd never seen him play before um, when he came in and, and just getting to see, number one, how – how he works and his his uh, his setup before the game and his process of getting ready. I mean, this guy he he simplifies. That's his main focus. Uh, Ted Williams hitting philosophy. First thing he'd say is get a good pitch to hit, right? And he had as good a strike zone judgment. I'm so thankful that's in print and that, that we still that we have video of him talking about that. Absolutely, that's one of my favorite video clips. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Um, and I read his biography, a couple different biographies about him and everything. And and you know that was his philosophy. I, I you know the book Moneyball says when you're done with high school, we know whether you can judge a strike or not, right? Like that's what it was. I ran that by Kevin Seitzer once. He goes, ah, that's not true. I, I swung at too many things until after my freshman year of college. So I've amended it off Kevin Seitzer's word yeah. that, okay, a year, basically we're talking 18, 19 ish is what other people have said. When, when do you, how much can you improve your strike zone judgment? Your maybe not strike zone. Cause yeah, I talked to Daniel Mack and he made an interesting point. Good pitch, you know, pitch you can handle, Judgment. I, I, how 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 much can you make that better? You know, uh, as opposed, you know, when you get a hold of a guy at you know now when he gets to the big leagues, is he what he is on strikes or judgment, or can you improve that? I, you can't uh, you can't convince me that we can't continue to train that. You know, I think that one of the most um, underutilized parts of the game is teaching the strike zone. You know, I think about young kids, they're just trying to hit the ball. You know, they from the, the youngest age of seeing ball flight and trying to hit it again as a dad of four sons, I've seen in a lot. Um, there's the one piece of that that I just I keep coming back to is, do you know the strike zone? How, well, how have you ever trained the strike zone? Um, and we've dabbled in different, you know, things, VR and, and other, you know, training tools that we've tried to help with that. Ted Williams had 2010 vision, right? Like, so yeah. he's, he's a different one. And uh but Joe, I, Joe Morgan used to hit rocks with a broomstick. I mean, well, you know, so many of our young Latin players come over, they played Batia their whole life where they're hitting the bottle cap off yeah. a two-liter bottle, right? And then they're hitting with a broomstick. So, yeah. like, I do believe in the training. I think that there's a lot that comes into that. And I think when we start talking about the strike zone, you know, when our, when we get a young player in the Royal System, the first thing we do is we set out a tray with seven balls on it that goes in front of home plate. And when they're hitting – we're trying to teach the strike zone, right? They, where was that ball at? I mean, those are little things that we start from the very beginning. 
but I've yet to really have a lot of players come in and go, oh, yeah, I've done this drill my whole life. It's a lot of – I just feel like that's a, it's kind of a space where we haven't capitalized on that. Um, so many times teaching young kids hitters, the first thing we teach them is mechanics, you know, and then they get they, – they become a slave to their mechanics, and that's – I think that's a really slippery slope. I, I feel like, you know, some of our guys – We've been able to see the numbers, especially chase percentage. We've been able to do some training and seeing hard numbers of chase getting better. Um, so that, to me, is a big deal. Swing and miss is a tough one for me because I don't – you swing and miss. You swing and miss doesn't seem to go very far. It seems to always stay pretty stable. But chase, we've been able to really do a lot of training on that. Um, and any some of our young hitters, MJ, you mentioned, and we've had others where I think when they got to the big leagues, we had some umpires not really happy with them because they would literally say no, which is something that we've talked about when, they, when they're taking a pitch. They're literally verbalizing no, and, you know, that some umpires, may not take it the right way but um you know that's one thing that has has trickled in and i know you could you could pull up video from jorge soler doing that years ago when he was with us but you know we're trying to teach a strike zone discipline of we're ready to hit it's yes yes until it's a no and that's that's the keys and so you know a lot of the stuff we challenge him in the cages so that we can really like hone in our strike zone you know the pitchers Yet to meet a really good hitter that could hit a well-located fastball down and away. Like, that's the bottom line. And now these guys have so much movement that they have. I think the average miss right now in the big leagues is over nine inches from the target. So like, yeah. that's just a part of the game right now. Um, and we have to embrace it and attack it the, the best we can. And it all starts with knowing what that strike zone is. And, you know, I think of uh, the science of hitting from Ted Williams, my dad's 10-year-old birthday present to me. Um, his strike zone that he had, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah. That's that's amazing. And that's, I think, why I've always gravitated to, you know, how do we train that? How do we, how do we train so that I could hit ball like that? So. Alex Zumwalt's with us. Uh, time for our final four. It's brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System, the official health care provider of the Kansas City Royals. Get care from the experts, the Royals Trust, to make the right call. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash royals. Uh, four quickies. I'll start you with this one. Uh, what is the uh, most important trait for someone to have uh, to be a good hitter? Well, I think, number one, it's a it's a it's an ability to slow slow it down more than okay. anything. Slow everything down. Um, you know, your anxiety, obviously, I mean, we've, we've done some tests to prove what guys' heart rates do just from walking to the, from the on-deck circle to the plate. Um, that data proves <laughs> that, and, and again, and you can look that up with uh, snipers, uh, Navy SEAL yeah. snipers. There are some that can operate at a super high level, super high heart rate. You know, same same thing with hitters. Just because a guy has a super high heart rate when he's walking up the plate doesn't mean he's not going to perform. I think it's a there's something there that we can't truly quantify the ability to slow it down. Bobby Witt, exactly that. You know, Vinny, I think Sal. I mean, these guys just have a unique ability to slow the game down. Yeah, it's like those biathletes. Yeah, they no. ski forever, yeah. and then yeah. also their heart rate down and they, they fire. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do believe that. Uh, who has the best power? Uh, on this Ooh. team, in this, or maybe he's not even in the big leagues, but that you've seen out here, who has the best raw power? Ooh, that's tough. That's tough. Um, I mean, you know, Velasquez has has shown us that there's some pretty big thump in there, but uh, I mean, Sal can still run into a ball and put it in the top of the fountains. Um, it, 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 that, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I'd love to see a good home run derby amongst yeah. our guys. I would put Bobby up there as well. I mean, Bobby. I've seen Bobby hit some balls that just don't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you want the new park to look like for your hitters? 
What, what would be ideal? And they said, you're going to design the park. Forget about the pitching side. We're letting you design the park. No, what, what, no, what would it look like? That doesn't work. Everything revolves around the pitching. That's what I learned in, in baseball a long time ago. And you just had Paul Gibson on here, so you probably said 400 <laughs> down the lines, 450 to center. Um, you know what? I, I'm uh, Truthfully, I'm just excited, you know, getting to travel around all the parks in, in the big leagues. And Kauffman's always going to be special for me and my family. Um, you know, I, I love that it looks like the fountains are going to continue to be a part yeah. of it. Um, you know, and, and more than anything, I think there's nothing more special than being in an in a environment like that, having a view of downtown, feeling like the fans are right on top of you. Um, I mean, I, I think I think what I've seen in the rendering so far, it looks amazing. All right. Uh, and then uh, finally, who was your biggest influence on your baseball career? Um couple people but uh most my dad my dad was a huge influence still is today he's gonna be out here this week he'll be hanging with me all spring training it's pretty cool he's my roommate uh and then i had a i had an amazing coach uh while i was in high school in north carolina named andy harper um became my best friend um through it but just he was always that the voice of reason the voice of honesty you know taught me how to really um be my own best coach in a lot of ways and you know he was that guy that just no matter what time it was i could give him a call and he was he was that good ear you know good teachers usually are good listeners and and he was a teacher by trade and and a phenomenal coach but uh i feel like everything i do every day his fingerprints are all over it alec thanks so much for the time i really appreciate it uh enjoy your time here in arizona can't wait to have you guys back in kc appreciate it thanks for having me on alex and with us here in the program we'll take a break more here from surprise